place, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be at the very last section-ish, almost. We're, we've got one more section after this <laughs> in Luke chapter 9. Man, Cody was, Cody was right. We're crawling through Luke. Man, I'll tell you what. Man, but it's, it's good. It is, it is so good to just to, to, piece, to pick it apart and just to see how tangible it is for us today. So this is Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 51. <clears throat> when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined, Jesus, to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. You may be seated. So the title of my sermon here tonight is Welcome Jesus into every area of your life and family. Because as we see here, they didn't welcome him. They, what, what does it say? He, he, on the journey to, to Jerusalem here, we see this, that he stiffened his face to go to Jerusalem. Anyone stubborn here? No one? No one? Just a few people? Yeah. Oh, Amber Lynn already went downstairs. Uh, <laughs> Amber Lynn's really stubborn, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he stiffened his face the 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 text says he stiffened his face to go to jerusalem he you know i love seeing the the pictures of athletes when they're when they're really working hard you know especially those 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 weight weightlifters are like <laughs> right those softball pitchers that you know jackson when he's when he's you know drawing he's like like, you know, he's really concentrating, and I'm not going to get through to him because I can see his face. <laughs> Nothing's happening here or here. <laughs> Toddler, or you know, kids. But Jesus was, was compelled. There was this stiff-faced stubbornness to go to Jerusalem. It's this comparison to the stiff-necked people that the, you know, the Jewish nation is often referred to. Stubborn and unwavering devotion against God's leadership, against God's direction. None of us know anything about that, do we? Stubborn devotion against God's direction, God's good for our lives. We don't necessarily maybe name it that. We call it good stewardship. We call it wisdom sometimes. When God's calling you to do something weird, like... Yell at a rock and say, hey, 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 you rock, split. Give me water, give me water, rock. So what did he do? He tapped it with a rock. He disobeyed because he was like, well, this worked before, so I'm going to do it again because wisdom would tell me. But he didn't get to enter the promised land because he was stiff-necked and didn't listen to God. Jesus had a stiffened face toward God's direction against the opposition of mankind. We can see this in his rebuke of Peter. He came, he came and, and told all the disciples, hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to die. 
And Peter's like, oh, bro, 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 bro. Hey, we got a lot of momentum right now. We got a lot of disciples following us. Lots of money flowing in. Dude, we, you, you got to stop saying stuff like that. You're not going to die. Stop, cut, you know, cut that stuff out. And Jesus is like, whoa, get behind me, Satan. You stiff-necked, stubborn person who still doesn't get it. He rebuked Jesus. I'm sorry, he rebuked Peter for his stiff-necked stubbornness against God's true desire. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was determined, no matter what, to do what? To fulfill Scripture, to fulfill prophecy about who the Messiah was supposed to be. And most importantly, what was the prophecy and what was the Scripture talking about? A flourishing kingdom. An amazing new kingdom people. People who are filled with God's Holy Spirit, who don't have to offer sacrifices in a temple anymore, who are not defined by law, but are defined by grace, who God's love has poured out, the same spirit that was upon the prophets and upon King David would now be inside of us, bubbling up to eternal life. A personal connection with God every single day we don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to holy places. We can simply sit and be in God's presence, like tonight. I was in God's presence. Were you in God's presence? We can just simply be with God. Like I said, confidently approaching the throne of grace. They had to go to a temple and offer a sacrifice in order to commune with God three times a year unless they live there. We get to be in his presence every day. That was God's mission that Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross so that we could enjoy fellowship with God. I can't even, I can't even wrap my mind around not having fellowship with God. I, honest, I honestly can't. I mean, there's many who have come to faith later in, in life I'm one of those, you know, youth, dad was a youth pastor growing up. I was going to church before I was even born. You know, conception all the way through today. You know, living it, because I love the church. I love having fellowship with God. I love having fellowship with other people that love God and are in God's presence. This is what I yearn for. This is what I long for is to get together with God's people. And God loves getting with his people too. And that was Jesus' mission to bring people to God. So cultivate this. That's the whole purpose of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would place their faith, would believe in him, would not perish, would not go down with the ship, but would have eternal life. Quantity and quantity. Quality and quantity. So this is why Jesus has a divine grit. This divine grit defines, marks these next 10 chapters of Scripture. It's all about this journey to Jerusalem. These next 10 chapters from 10 to 19, the end of, end of, or the end of 9 through, through 19. It's all about his divine grit to get to Jerusalem. What is that? He sent messengers ahead to a village of the Samaritans. Now, 
He's made this a practice of his. He did this with the Samaritan woman on his way to Jerusalem. But it's interesting, you can kind of see a couple different routes. So if you look at the green route, that's the, the, the route that a lot of people would take. It's the shortest route. It takes three days. But most of the time, they would come and they would camp around here. As you can see, the, 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 the border of Samaria, this little town right here. And they do, this whole stretch they do in a day to get here to the end, I'm sorry, to the end of Samaria, and then the third day, finish the journey to Jerusalem. So they, they would walk through Samaria, but they wouldn't stop. They, they would bypass town. They had bypass roads that would bypass the Samaritan people. And there's also the dramatic way that the super holy take, and it's down here, and then they go east and then go away from Samaria altogether and don't even step foot in it and go south and then cut back. So this is actually the road that we're talking about. Not because Jesus didn't like Samaritans. He did. He went to a village of the Samaritans. But so he made a practice of going to spend time in Samaria. Let's talk about Samaria a little bit. This is, a, like I said, this is a three-day walk, uh, or it could be like a four or five, depending on if you went to the purple route. Um, but think about this. So he started, it was actually off the map. I should have gotten another one. All the way up here in Caesarea Philippi, another three-day walk up here. You know, so this is what we're talking about. Mount Hermon, up way up there where he, where he was transfigured, came back down to the altar of, altar of Pan that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and then, you know, did, healed the boy and, and all that jazz. And then, so now he's coming down this way, and he's making his way. He's, he has now set his face toward Jerusalem, and now he's coming down toward the Sea of Galilee and then beyond. So now we are catching up to now we are into going and setting preparations to go into Samaria. And what that is, is it's probably this area right here. Somewhere along here is a, is some, are there, there are Samaritan towns because Jesus is taking the long route. Because if you know, Jesus entered Jericho right before he went into Jerusalem, before he was crucified. So that's one of the ways that we know that he took this road specifically is because of his stop in Jericho. And so he, he's around, probably around here somewhere. He may have gotten to the turn. And so he's going to Jerusalem. Um, and so uh, number two, uh, <coughs> oh, that was, the, that was number two. Um, <laughs> um, but also, as, as it says, that we know that he went that way because in Luke 17, he said he followed the road between Galilee and Samaria. So like I said, the journey to Jerusalem, these next chap 10 chapters of scripture takes about three to six months. What should take him about three to, you know, five to six days takes him three to six months because he's setting his face to Jerusalem to be there by Passover, but so also probably winter. So probably hunkering down and, you know, getting in the cold and everything like that. Uh, supplies, not, t you know, doing too much. But also he has set his face to Jerusalem and he wants to do a lot of ministry along the way. So he may, he may be taking this road, but he wants to do a lot of ministry in and around this area before he goes to the cross. So Jesus stayed in these villages in Samaria as they traveled along that border. Now, why did they refuse to welcome him? Well, let's look at kind of the, some of the history behind the Samaritan people. So this is their temple. This is the, the temple that's still there in Samaria today that they actually still do sacrifices at. Every Passover, they still do sacrifices. And I was looking at pictures today, and my son walked in the room. He's like, what's that? I was like, um, lots of blood. It's them bar at a barbecue. It's a barbecue. They're, they're barbecuing and hanging out and having a party with Jesus. 
that was really bloody. Yeah, okay, let's talk about that. So, so we had the conversation about the sacrifice and, and what they would do, with, do to, the, to the lamb. They would you know, slit his throat and spill his blood because it... Rep- yes, God? You because know, it represented the life of the animal. So people were giving the life of the animal back to the Lord because the life of the being belongs to God. So, and so then they, they would barbecue it. Interesting, interestingly enough, they still do this today. You know how they cook the, the lamb? And they spread its legs. All four. But it looks like it's, and they, and they put it up over a big fire. So they put it in the dirt and lean it over and the, and the lamb looks like this as it's being roasted. Look like anything familiar? So the Samaritans, to this day, believe that the rightful temple was built on Mount Gerizim um, in Samaria, just outside of Sikar. And Sikar was the town that the Samaritan woman encounter happened with. And it was just right outside of Sikar. Um, and that the, the Jerusalem temple and the Jewish people were actually apostate. That they were actually the illegitimate people. Kind of like you know, in Islam, they believe that Abraham almost sacrificed Ishmael, not Isaac. And that Ishmael is the correct son and Isaac is the bastard son by the slave woman. So it all comes down to Abraham and, and, this, and this separation. This uh, is what caused the spirit of division between the people who claimed to worship the same God. Division went all the way back to the divided kingdom. After King Solomon died, uh, he was, you know, the, the kingdom split into two. He had Judah in the south, and then he had all the rest basically in the north, and then you know, on the, you know, basically north and south. And all the kings in the, in the north, just to let you know, were all bad. There was not one single good king in the north. Not one. Not one single, even okay guy. They're all evil. Starting with, I believe, Jeroboam. It was his name. Uh, want, you know, brought the people away to worship the Baals and the Moloch. We'll get there in a minute. Um, but, um, oh yeah, no, it's right there. There's, it's right there in my notes. So they, he split the kingdom and they were, began worshiping the pagan Sumerian gods, Baal, Molech, Asherah, the Ashtoreth, all sorts of stuff, raising the Ashtore, you know, Asherah poles uh, and, and the, the, you know, the, the altar to Baal and they put the big bull to Molech. Um, and so there's this... Um, Yes, Lord? <laughs> I saw it open. I was like, ooh, that's going to shut closed. Ooh. Getting pretty fun out there. I'm going to have one of those sermons like last year with the thunder and the, you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> that's right. God hates Molech. God hates Molech. That's right. Um... So, and then, the, and then in the south, you had a few good kings. You had Josiah, who reformed the kingdom and, and found the book of the law and restored the people. And then you had Hezekiah, and he was a great king and, and restored the, king, the, the kingdom back to its flourishing. You had some great kings in the south. And you had one big one that was ter- terrible. I think it was Manasseh. I think it was his name. He was terrible. He was awful. And he ruined it for all of Jerusalem. And God's judgment came upon them because of Manasseh specifically. There's going to be a thunder right here soon. I just saw the flash of lightning. <laughs> but so then, the, then later, the, the, the Samaritans that settled in this area 
after the Assyrians had come over and, take, and put them into exile, God judged them because of their worship to the pagan gods. Um, they started to intermarry with the Assyrians and the Babylonians after they took over. So they were considered, considered like mixed blood, you know, um, or what are they, what are they called? Uh, mongrels or mutts. They were, you know, Jewish mutts. Um, because, and they were just dirty. They were considered dirty. Um, and then, so they separated pretty early on culturally everything. So they were pretty much two separate nations. Um, and then uh, Alexander the Great gave them permission to build this temple in about the 4th, 5th century BC. So this is an old temple. This is a very old temple. Um, and so they believe that they were the true people of God and that our Old Testament is invalid because it's Jewish. You know, we come from the Jewish lineage, right? And so everything that we, the, this Bible talks about, the Samaritans, they believe is, is, is wrong and is a lie. Um, and that their temple is where true and valid worship happens. Um, again, one of those things, but God, <laughs> what happened to the Samaritans? Jesus visited them. Jesus said, hello, I'm here. I love you. And guess what? I'm Jewish. And guess what? Neither temple, we're, gonna, we're not going to worship in either temple. The kingdom of God is going to be spirit and in truth. God's worshipers coming forward in the, in the kingdom that's to come, the one that we live in now today, the church, will worship him in spirit and in truth and not in temples. And that's one of the things that I love about, loved talking to Jackson about was that, guess what, Jackson? We don't have to do that anymore. Because remember that the communion we take every Sunday? Jesus shed his blood to cover us for all time. The Bible even says he perfected for all time those who he's saving by, doing, by going and dying on the cross. He made us holy. Jesus, like I said, made, a, made it a practice to come to Samaria because he didn't, not only wanted to show the Jews, the Jewish people, that, they were, that he was their Messiah, but showing how even he was the Samaritan's Messiah. Going all the way back, and not, you know, as Jesus said, you're not, you know, not going to need the, word, the temple anymore. You're not going to need your temple anymore. The same message to both people. I am God's Messiah. I am better than Abraham and Moses. Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and Moses, David, and Solomon. People, you know, the, the, the people in the scripture that bring both of the, these people together, both these, these people groups together. And it's interesting to, to, to see, you know, talking about the Samaritan woman, they had this debate about worship, like we talked about, um, you know, near Sakaar, near this place. Um, so how did that, I want to talk about that city. How did the city, Sakaar, that is near this place. Oftentimes we get lost in the story of the Samaritan woman. We spend all of our time in a sermon about the Samaritan woman. Well, we've heard a lot about her and there's plenty of sermons out there. Let's talk about Sakaar. Let's talk about the city. How did they respond to Jesus? Basically the capital of Samaria, right outside the temple. What does it say? Now many, uh, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. What he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left there for Galilee. They welcomed 
Jesus. They've embraced him. However, the village in this story that we're talking about today, what? They rejected him. They had a spirit of religion and they missed a blessing. The spirit of division. I believe the spirit of division is so living and active everywhere that there's division. You know, everywhere there's division, it's because there's a spirit of division. It's not just, just because of the sin of, of mankind. Especially like in places like the church, the spirit of division creeps in and starts to pull people away from each other, pull people away from the church, and say, you don't need blank. You don't need to go and engage in blank. So much so that even Paul had to say, don't forsake the gathering together because the spirit of, you're, you're believing the spirit of division. Stop believing that spirit. The spirit of division has been around for a long, long time. The spirit of religion, this, I gotta get it just right. Just right and firm. Why, how do we know this is, this is also one of those same demons from antiquity. Because look at what the Jewish people did in the intertestamental period. They wrote books about how to follow, like there's this one law and then like a whole commentary that was just all sorts of laws on top of that one thing. Like do not, you know, if, you, if, a, if a bull gores this person, well, if it's a, if it's a Tuesday and it's, you know, ha, you know, spring and then it's okay. But, because they shouldn't have been outside anyway. All these like, different rules and stipulations. The spirit of religion trying to get every, every single behavior just right. Regulation and litigation to control and coerce and to get people to follow your very narrow prescribed way of life. Whereas God's way has always been from the beginning, freedom. How do I know that? Because there are only 613 laws in the entire Jewish nation. We in America have 60,000 and going up. Who was more free? Israel? America. They have this dogmatic approach to even relationships. You don't believe the same thing as I do, so therefore we can't be friends. We can't share a table together because I think you're a mongrel. I think that you are part of this people group that I don't like. We can't associate you because you worship God differently than us. And here's the thing, we miss God's blessing when we are closed-minded, closed-spirited, and hard-hearted. When we say, my way, my truth, my life. When we have such a grip on our lives that says, I will control my life. I will believe the way that I believe, my truth, and I will live my way. My way or the highway, bucko. And so the question in, in my mind, I've been rolling around in my head, in what ways have we said or communicated these things to God? Slammed the door in his face so much that he, so they had to say, hey, I'm here, the knocking, and rejected walking by his instruction and took back the steering wheel. Instead of saying, Jesus, take the wheel, he said, Jesus, I'll take the wheel. Thank you. Thank you for your input, but uh, we're going to talk about it. we can see how this, this spirit of religion even embedded itself into the disciples. 
mean, let's look at the, the sons of thunder. You know, this is what, what, what Jesus called um, James and John. He's like, you sons of thunder. I wonder if it's because they made a lot of noise. Like I was being outside. They kind of roared and winded around, and they full, of hot, you know, full of hot wind. These guys were fiery. These guys were passionate. They were driven. They're your entrepreneur disciples. They're your like, let's do this. Come on, Jesus. They're like leading Jesus. Can we, should we call down fire from heaven? <laughs> lightning? Thunder, thunder? Lightning. They probably had, you know, this, you know, for, uh, 2 Kings 1, 10 through 12, where like Elijah gets, you know, the, the king, um, Ahaziah, I think is what his name, he kept like sending a general and some soldiers to go and, and call Elijah to come to him because he got injured and he, got, he wants to see if he's going to live or die. And he keeps sending a general and 50 men and he's like, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down and consume you. It all die. And then they did it not just once, twice. And they came again and and then a third time. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 Where are you? I'm good. I just, I know. If you're a man of God, you know, you're a man of God. Not if you're a man of God. You're a man of God. We know this. We believe it. We believe it now. We believe it. Spare my life. I'm just here to tell you the, king's want, the king wants to see you. Would you come down and see him? Don't care what you say to him. But I, want you to, I wonder if that's what he had in mind, like this, Elijah, this power of Elijah thing, right? Um, but here's the thing, that Jesus abided by his own methods in this. So you see, their, their intention was, should we call down fire from heaven to judge them and to consume them? But what did he say? He turned and rebuked them. Let's look, let's look back, a few weeks back, when Cody was here. He said, if they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. He's like, they don't welcome you? Fine. Just leave. They're not going to be hospitable? Fine. Shake off the dust from your feet. They don't want life. They don't want flourishing. They don't want a blessing? Fine. So Jesus even abided by his own methods of evangelism. He turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village, it says, because they welcomed him. They believed in him. But this blessing didn't, or this village didn't. They welcomed, but how do we know? Because Jesus stayed there. <laughs> it said that they welcomed him, and he stayed there. They accepted Jesus, where the other ones rejected Jesus. Jesus doesn't say following him is always a smooth ride. He doesn't say, hey, everyone's going to welcome you. Hey, it's going to be a great life. You're going to do this and that. You're never going to be sick. You're never going to be worried. You're never going to have anxiety. You're never going to have bad things happen to you or your family members or your friends. It's going to be... Get out the popcorn. It's going to be amazing. Just keep eating all the cheeseburgers you want. You'll knock, you'll ne you're never going to get fat. He's, you know, he says, he even guarantees that it will be difficult as we just read a couple weeks ago. He doesn't say life and, and his desire and his will for you, his good will for you, or his desire for good for you is going to be quick. He never says it's going to be like that. It could be months, years for what he says 
for what he said to come to fruition. Like it, it takes time. It takes time. Because faith is not without a fright. Trust is not without trial. Confidence comes out of discomfort. At times, Jesus may make or, or bring a sense of discomfort before he shows his goodness to bring comfort and a blessing. He may allow the discomfort for a moment or for a time or, a, or seven times or time at a time. Because remember, what, why, what is the number one thing you say you don't pray for? Patience. And why don't you pray for patience? Because he will give you opportunities to be patient. My mother constantly is praying for patience and I wish she'd stop because my children... <laughs> <laughs> really having to bolster this element of, of patience. But here's the thing, patience comes from opportunities to not just cultivate patience by failing, but to practice patience. More and more patience. Faith comes from opportunities to practice trust, belief. To practice having confidence where you've been a coward. Trust when you've said, I just can't do that, God. I'm a failure. I sin too much in this area. When our beliefs are tested, they're proven whether they're right beliefs or wrong beliefs, whether they're trustworthy or untrustworthy, not trustworthy. Crossing the water like Peter, takes practicing faith. You know, Peter could say all day long, oh yeah, I have faith. I just don't want to do it. I can stop doing fill in the blank, but I just fill in the blank. Crossing the water takes practicing your faith. Peter had to step out of the boat and say, I trust you, even though I think I might drown. Or at least fall you know, down there not do well. Step lightly. Have you ever seen, uh, or ever been on, on backpacking trip or a hiking trip and you're crossing a, like a, a, a stream or something? Anyone been on a hiking trip and done that? It can get really funny really quick. Can it not? Rock, you know, rocks get wet, slippery, or you, you, there's that one rock that's like, oh no! And the guy's like, ah! This makes America's Funniest Home Videos a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it can get really comical or really tragic pretty quick, depending on the water that you're crossing. And that's why, like, you think about this. You know, you step lightly on the rock first to see if it's sturdy, to see if it, how slippery it is before you commit to it. It might look sturdy, but sometimes it's not. It was to see if it's worthy of putting your weight on it. And like I said, comedy and tragedy ensue when people put their trust in the wrong rock. Oh, I didn't do it. I was going to, I had that thought I was going to put a picture of my wife jumping over a rock over this rushing creek with her backpack on. It's epic. It's like, oh, sweet. She made it. She was great. Bryce almost didn't, but it was good. <laughs> um, but water, you know, water, think about this, you know, equals like a, a, a trial or an opportunity. Every time we come to one of these water crossings, it's a, it's a testing of faith of our 
intelligence to pick the right rock <laughs> or to see where others have gone before us, to see where the, where the strong rocks are that everyone else trusts and follow that same path over the, over the water. But think about this. It gets more and more, um, it, it takes more trust the bigger it gets. So you can think about, you know, it could be calm, like a little stream, like a little trickle, even just kind of coming down, just wetting the ground. You're like, oh yeah, and just walk right across it. You know, waterproof shoes, right? But then, you, you know, it could be rushing. It could be a creek like we, like we passed over. Like, you know, with, with our, with, you know, with everything, like jumping over the, the rocks and things like that. Uh, a little more nervous. But then you get like the big river. You got to figure out, okay, how am I going to cross this thing? How am I going to cross this river? With, is there a log? How do I, do I trust the log? So it, it takes this, this building of your faith um, and each bigger and more dangerous water crossing increase, increases the danger and therefore a greater measure of faith and a greater need for confidence and care with each step you take. So think about these different trials that you approach in your life. Which ones are a little trickle? You're like, I have no temptation whatsoever for that. I have absolutely no temptation to start crocheting or scrapbooking. That temptation just was right by me. But what about the other temptations? You know, that attractive woman walks by. Do I look and then second glance and then linger? And like we talked about our men's retreat this last weekend. Is there this lust factor? Is there a gossip factor? Like I just want to talk about things. What is the struggle in your life that you say, that is a dangerous, a dangerous one for me to cross over? Or a, or a trial, a tribulation, politics, conversations with family members that you have a broken relationship. How do I trust God? What are the steps that I take to trust God along the way? God, where do I step in this so that I can be a blessing? Where can I step so that I won't misstep and fall into the river and drown? It's not how you start. You know, we start with the temptation or the trial or the test. It's about how you finish. You I say that in sports all the time. It's not how you start the game. It's how you finish. It's how you finish the game. You know, it doesn't matter what happened in the first part of the game. You could be down by like you know, four or five points, whatever, you know, four or five scores. But then you're like, we got to finish strong. You know that Baylor had that, you know, the big signs and you know, the, the fourth quarter is like, yeah, we're going to finish strong. And it's ramping ourselves up to finish good, to finish strong. It's how you endure. It's how you press through. How you trust and place your faith in Jesus to get you through each temptation, trial, or test. Not how you endure and press through, but how does God endure and press through, through you, in you? placing your trust. He is the rocks that you are stepping on. Leaning not on your understanding. Approach each trial, test, as an, as an opportunity for God to grow your faith. This is why it is so important to welcome Jesus into area every area of your life and your family. That's so why it was so important for this town to welcome 
Jesus. They welcomed Jesus where others rejected him. Because God uses these trials to grow faith in him, not the self or humanity. When we grow, when we grow our reliance and trust in ourselves and humanity, we will more often than not be disappointed. We will miss a blessing. We will be burned. We will be rejected. We will be abandoned. You know, like I said, the church is not immune to this. We can put ourselves in a position where we're trusting the institution, you know, we're trusting shift church to do all the spiritual work for us, to do all the pursuing, do all of the counseling, do all of the bolstering your faith for you. And we're left disappointed in the church organization or the pastor that didn't blank this or that. And we leave feeling burned, hurt, unknown, uncared for. We put the Savior's position on the pastor rather than on Jesus. I've done this too. I've done this too. And honestly, just a little, little aside here, I don't want to take up too much time, but this is honestly like one of the reasons why we cultivated a ministry that is relational. Having these smaller groups and having discipleship relationships in community is because it is impossible for me to care for every single person in the church and do it well. Even, even with a smaller church, it doesn't matter big or small, unless it's like, you know, a group of like five, you know, there is not a, an, abil- an ability to care for every single person in the church and do it well. That's why it's up to us to care for one another. That's why God said, it's, it's my job to equip you, us, for the work of ministry, one to another, so that the church builds itself up in love, Ephesians 4. And so that's just our little, uh, my little aside here. And so I, this is my appeal. Please put, your, put, put the Savior's position on Jesus. Put the, one, put the one who's in charge of your spiritual maturity on Jesus because he can handle it. We rely on one another to minister to us in the church, but our greatest role as brothers and sisters, as a pastor, as an organization, is always for each of us to point each other to the Savior. Always. To encourage you and help you put your faith in Jesus during a trial, during a temptation, to be with you, to bear that with you, to bear your burdens, as the Bible says and bearing them by pointing you to Jesus, by helping you take them to Jesus. James even says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He says in Romans 8, We know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work for good. Some say, you know, God works all things, but this element of all things work for the good of those who are steadfastly devoted to God and called to his purposes, called to his kingdom, called to accomplish his kingdom purposes. You know, he sent out the invitation and those who welcome Jesus, who respond to that call for purpose, are blessed. Even if they must endure suffering and trials. There's even, even a passage about this in, in Acts. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they, they won the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. 
After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas and, uh, for Derby. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them, it is necessary, not just you might or you might by chance, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Trials aren't just a if, they might come, when. It is guaranteed, it is necessary for us to go through trials, for us to go through hardships as we make our way through this life to enter the kingdom of God. And this is why it is so vital that we welcome Jesus into every area of our lives and our families. You know, Jesus stiffened his, ne- his face to go to Jerusalem, questioned, doubted, opposed by the religious leaders, to be betrayed by his closest disciples, to be beaten, spat upon, to be mocked for who he was, to be tortured, crucified, and die. Then for his bloody body to be stabbed with a spear after he was already dead. Jesus stiffened his face to accomplish the hardships that would lead to the flourishing of the kingdom of God. And we stiffen our face to enter the kingdom of heaven. A stubborn, eternal determination to attain or take hold of our rightful and imperishable inheritance in the kingdom of God. What he desires is an open door. An open door. A welcome home for him to come in. Revelation 3. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this message is actually to a church. It's not to unbelievers. It's not, hey, unbelievers, if you believe in me, I'm, I'm knocking on your heart. He's saying to the church, let me back in. You've shut me out. You've silenced my voice. You're accomplishing everything that you think you can. You think you're awesome. You think you're clothed. You think you're you know, all these things, but you're nothing. You're naked, as I say in Texas. You are poor, wretched, blind. Let me back in where I belong in my church. And what do you say? When, they, when God is welcomed, he will bring the party. He said, I will come and eat with him and he with me. I will come and have table fellowship with you. I'll, I'll bring the, the wine, Jesus says. How does, you know, this, this is Jesus saying, I want relationship with you. Let me back in. Let me into my church. Let me into my people, into your home. As, if, as families, let me back into your home if you've shut them out. And so how do we cultivate these things? I just want to spend a couple, just a couple minutes. How do we cultivate these things in, daily, daily, in our daily lives? I want to give us some practical kind of abilities to, you know, in order to focus on how do we welcome Jesus? How do we not be like this, this city in Samaria that rejected Jesus, but how do we be like the other one that welcomed him, that said, we got an open door, come and party. We're gonna, we'll strike, strike up the band and have a dance. There's a, there's a great book called The Celebration of Discipline, and in this book, so this is, this is by Richard J. Foster. So this is kind of the, the standard when it comes to like spiritual disciplines. 
Uh, spiritual disciplines are things like meditation, prayer, fasting, study, uh, simplicity, solitude, submission, service. These, these are all covered in the, in the book. Uh, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. These are spiritual disciplines that we can individually, personally practice. The practice of going out into the woods by ourselves and just setting up a campsite. That sounds like fun. That sounds like something I'd be, I'd be down for. Right? Fasting, yeah? Studying, meditating, yeah? And so these are spiritual disciplines that we can, can do to, to in, in essence, to, to spiritually welcome Jesus into our own personal lives and things that we can do together with friends and with our family to welcome Jesus in. Family practices. Here's some very practical practices that we can go through. Ceremony and recognition. You know, there is a, a lack of coming-of-age ceremonies and, and an abundance of weird ones. Like kindergarten, graduation, really? How about when your boy becomes a man? You as a father get to say, you are now a man. And I'm going to expect manhood out of you. And I'm going to tell all my buddies to expect manhood out of you. Responsibility. Strength. What about women? What does it mean to be a woman? You have now come to the place where you are a woman and not just a girl. You're not just, you know, not just marrying age, but you are a woman, a, a mature and strong, powerful vessel for God in this world to worship and to lead. Prayers and worship, worshiping and praying together as a family. Do you go to maybe worship nights together? Do you go and, you, and do you sing a song around your dinner table? Do you pray together as a family in the morning or in, in the evening around your meals? or other times outside of your meals? Do you pray together when you have a trial going on in your family? Do you sit down and, and pray with your kid who is having a struggle? Feasts and festivals. This is a great, great practice in my family. We practice Sukkot. We practice, you know, uh, what's called Hanukkah. And we practice Passover. You know, and we, and you're finding ways to, you know, maybe find, you know, study the Jewish traditions and the feasts and festivals and learn these different things of how Jesus fulfilled all of them and incorporate that into your celebration. Just have a great, massive dinner together and celebrate God. You know, like, the, you know, like uh, what was it? Passover, just celebrating that God delivered his people. And kept pointing back to that miracle and saying, I am the God that was with you, who brought you out of Egypt. Remember those miracles? That was me. And we can point back to that and say, that is our God who delivered our, our brothers and sisters from Egypt because we've been grafted into the people of God. Devotionals and study. Do you do devotionals and studies with your family? Book studies or Bible studies. Do you sit down and explain the scriptures to your kids and, and walk them through spiritual questions? Books and videos and, and, and films. You read books together. Watch The Chosen together. If you have not watched The Chosen, watch The Chosen it's on YouTube. It's amazing. It's so good. The app is free. You can watch it for free everywhere. Or you can buy the, the, the DVD collections. They, they, I think they just came out with season two on DVD as well. They're amazing. Watch them together. Rewatch them together. It will stir your heart and love and affection for God. But the main thing is doing things as a family, individually, and as a church to welcome Jesus into our life and our faith to let Jesus know that he always has an open door, 
always has a welcome, has a seat at the table with us. Maybe set a table for him, you know, like they do at Passover for Elijah. You know, set a table for Jesus. He's here. He's there. Holy Spirit's here with us. He's hanging out with us and blessing us. They even start with lighting a candle and saying, Jesus, you're welcome here. Your Holy Spirit is welcome at our table. Speak to us tonight as we, as we eat our dinner, as we dine with you and break bread with you. Welcome Jesus into, your, into every area of your life and your family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming near. We thank you for your grace and your love, Lord, that draws us to your presence, that you invite us to your table. And so, Lord, be in us and strengthen us and remind us to welcome you to our table, into our family, into our lives, and most importantly, God, into our church, where you belong, into your church, into your ecclesia. We are your representation on, on earth. We are your kingdom, Lord. And Lord, your saints are here to worship you. Your bride is here to be with you. Lord, inhabit the praises of your people. Inhabit the presence of your people every time we gather, whether in this large worship, worship gathering or in our small groups, in our act groups, and in our one-on-one relationships, God, with each other. Inhabit the relationships of your people, God. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.